welcome to episode 79 of the MTG Grandcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina, because I forgot to think of a pithy <laughs> new tagline for this episode, but still the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina. Special focus on the SCG Tour. We are hosts. I'm Chris Castor-Apple. Fresh off of SCG Indie is Collins Mullen. Hey, Collins. Hey, Chris. What's up? Not much. How was your weekend? It was good. Uh, week one standard is always a blast yeah. and it's always super exciting to just kind of be on the floor of like new standard, seeing all the new things that people are playing with, uh, like at the tournament, seeing what ends up doing well, kind of just like being a really big part of that process. And it was really awesome. Yeah. So, I mean, we're definitely going to get into that. I unfortunately missed it, but i watched all of the coverage from home yeah, and, yeah. you know, got to see <laughs> a, a lot of it, new standard. It, yeah. I mean, it, it definitely was quite a bit. Yeah. So really cool tournament, really cool stuff. Some quick preliminaries. If you want to lend us some support, uh, please hit us up on patreon.com slash mdggrindcast. Come hang out in the Discord. Uh, all that nice stuff. We'd really appreciate it. And before we get into, you know, mostly we're going to be talking about standard today because that's that's interesting. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the new hotness. So. Yeah, definitely the new hotness. Uh, and then we're going to talk a little bit about just general, like, changes to coverage and some of the you know some of the twitter discussion that's been going on about gp new jersey and this sort of thing yeah yeah but before we get to all that we've got a keeper mall and so <laughs> i'll i'll admit that this is not a real keeper mall this is a randomly generated i uh i pulled up your deck yeah excellent so so for those of you who haven't seen collins's deck this was a sultai list yeah yeah uh, i guess i should kind of talk about it a little bit more first yeah. so this was this was the sultai list that zan and jeremy and i all played this weekend because zan was in our apartment for the week leading up to indianapolis and we were just like really hitting testing pretty hard uh, for new standards, Zan was super excited. He was brewing up all sorts of crazy lists. Yep, saw a few of them. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> and this is what we this is what we ended up on after all of that is that we believed that Sultai, this kind of like bigger version of Sultai, would be really good at beating up on all of the other kind of like other mid range decks, and also, you know, we we really liked our ability to play post board against the fog decks, and also. You know, we had a decent macro matchup. So it was kind of like a, a, a meta-gamed choice for mm-hmm. week one, which is a little strange. Generally, week ones are like, nobody knows the metagame or whatever. But we, you know, we, we definitely thought that we had a pretty good idea of what everybody was going to bring. And I think we were right for the most part, but uh, some other things we got wrong. So we'll, we'll talk about that more later. But yeah, so Sultai, like, it's like Sultai... Sultai mid-range, big, but not... Big mid-range. Not creature-based in the way that the Explorer decks yeah, are. Yeah. So yeah. You, you add a lot of, like, two-mana removal spells and mm-hmm. growth spirals and that sort of thing. Yeah, growth spiral was kind of the big key piece of this deck. It was yeah. that you really wanted to be able to growth spiral on, you know, on the early turns to bridge the gap into your late game bombs mm-hmm. while you're, you know, sweeping the board with a ritual of soot or just kind of, you know, one for oneing on the way there. Thought Erasure was another huge card in our deck. We yeah. thought that Thought Erasure was excellent. Um, it was the only way to trade one for one for a Hydroid Crisis, which is, <laughs> yeah. you know, an incredible thing to do. So that's yeah. always good. So this hand that we've got, so this is kind of a weird one. I wanted to move a little bit away from the, like, oh, we just need to draw one land with this hand for it to <laughs> yeah. be good. Should I keep it? Yeah. <laughs> right. yeah. So so this one's a little different. This is two Hinterland Harbors, a Woodland Cemetery, a Breeding Pool, and three Growth Spirals. Yeah. So who knows what's in our hand? Right. Four lands, three Growth Spirals is the hand. 
Yeah, I would snap keep this in. <laughs> I think it's great. It's a little unintuitive, so I'm glad that we're talking about it. But w- the one thing that I found with this deck was that as long as you made your land drops consistently, you won a majority of those games. Okay. The power level of the deck, you know, we had so many cards that caught you up. You had so many cards that really just kind of took things over in the late game. You know, the things that catch you up are like the the Ritual of Soots uh, and Sweepers and stuff. So much so that you guys were playing four Rituals of Soot, right? It was our really hard metagame call that pretty much everybody was going to be on these like medium creature beat down mid-range decks. And we wanted to be able to clean up all of those cards that they played. And then, you know, and then we can fight with our Haymakers and everything. So yeah, four Ritual of Soots. But uh, the thing that I definitely realized, especially by the end of the tournament, was that the games that I lost, pretty much all of the games that I lost, I was stuck on lands early. I was like, I couldn't make my like fourth or fifth land drop on time. Mm-hmm. And the games where you had a growth spiral early uh, versus the games where you never drew a growth, growth spiral were insanely different. The, sure. the card growth spiral just really made this deck hum. Mm-hmm. So this triple growth spiral all lands hand is just exactly what i'm looking for (laughs) i want my early turns to be able to be developing my mana base and then you know cat cast a catch-up card and then you know land a haymaker and i think that this hand is perfectly set up to do exactly that right so if at any point off of the three growth spirals or in your first two or three turns you Mm -hmm. just want to draw like one sweeper and then eventually a hydroid crassus and like then this hand is just that did exactly what the deck is trying to do. Yeah, yeah. Kind of think of it, I guess, like, your your opening hand in Valkut is three explorers and four lands. You're mm-hmm. like, oh, yeah, this is perfect. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right? Because <laughs> it's just what this hand is. And all of our late game cards are really good at ending the game, so. Yeah, makes sense to me. Cool. Well, then let's talk about kind of standard as a whole. So so we had a lot of standard this weekend. Between we did. Yeah. Uh, SCG Open. We're going to talk a little bit less about the classic, just because, yeah. like, like classics results matter. But I think on week one, taking everybody who did poorly in the mm-hmm. the the week one open and then putting them in a tournament together, I think maybe we should pay more attention to the open. And then also there was a Magic Online PTQ and there was a five zero deck dump yesterday yeah so you know from however much information we can draw from the deck dumps but we can at least see what is working and and what shows up yeah 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 for sure but yeah so why don't we just talk about indie first and what that you know what that tournament was like how you guys saw stuff start playing out why you chose the deck you did and that sort of thing yeah so i mean i i think i talked enough about why we chose the deck (laughs) we you know we definitely wanted to kind of beat up on the other mid-range decks we believed that hydroid crisis and uh, Biogenic Ooze were both ridiculously strong. Mm-hmm. And they were. Hydroid Crisis was just the tournament, I think. Yeah. At the, at the end of the day, like, all the tables were either Hydroid Crisis decks or, you know, decks that beat up on that. Like, the Esper control decks, I think, mm-hmm. got a, a pretty good edge. Like, against Hydroid Crisis specifically, they weren't great, but the, they were well set up to beat the rest of those decks. Mm-hmm. So... So it it really felt all about that card. Interesting. Um, and the deck that really ended up coming out on top of every everything was the Explore Creature version of Sultai Midrange. And kind of the reason that that deck was so clearly the best uh, midrange deck was because it was the Hydroid Crisis deck that best utilized the card Hydroid Crisis. Mm-hmm. They are playing Explore Creatures to make sure that they hit all their land drops. Yep. They're playing Fine Finality to pick up their Hydroid Crisis again. Huge. They're playing the Memorial Folly to cast their Hydroid Crisis again. Like, Hydroid Crisis is just the new Carnage Tyrant. Um, but it's 
way better than <laughs> it's not particularly yeah. close right. like, it doesn't get invalidated by like two branch walkers right. on the other yeah, side yeah, of the yeah, table. Right. it's yeah it's it's incredible and that that deck and the and the way that they had it built to really just you know recur hydrid crisis over and over again you know through all of the ways that that deck is you know we, we we've already seen carnage tyrant getting spun around all over the place but now this one is just right. like sphinx's revelation attached to it yeah um, and that's so I mean, these decks are not that different from the black green deck yeah. of last season, yeah. but they play out a lot differently because mm-hmm. the goal is get these hydrocrasis yeah. going, and yeah. that's like that's the thing you wanted to be able to find for and just didn't exist, yeah, and that's yeah. one of the reasons why I didn't play very much black green because like a lot of times you get your find and it's like all right card advantage and you get right. back like a ravenous chupacabra against a deck that it's not maybe not killing that much against and or you get like two explore guys and it's yeah, like yeah, i'm not yeah. really drawing cards here right but now you just you just oh, draw all the yeah. cards now you draw a lot of cards yeah yeah no i mean that deck was really really strong and and i think that was our biggest mistake going into the tournament is that we believe that our sultai deck would be able to beat the other sultai decks mm-hmm. because we were playing ritual Sweat and they were playing a bunch of creatures that yep. was kind of like our idea but the reality was that their deck was just had infinitely more ways of recurring hydrid crisis so nothing else mattered because okay. that you know we were able to kill some of their creatures sure but then they you know they were able to a make their land drops way way more than we were. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we were leaning pretty heavily on ops and growth spirals to be able to make our land drops and kind of get ahead in that way. Yeah. But they were just playing explore creatures, and not only did that represent a body that I had to deal with eventually, but it also represented a bunch of lands that they were drawing. Mm-hmm. And I think that that was probably the first time that it really demonstrated to me how good the explore mechanic is, mm-hmm. because uh, if your deck is a bunch of like bad creatures and lands and hydrid crisis and you play and, ex- and you explore you can get the bad stuff out of the way <laughs> draw the lands and then find your hydroid crisis that way you That's know all we care about right and uh, and i i was i think i was 10 and 3 in the tournament mm-hmm. and i i played against the sultai midrange deck and i was like all right this is it i i'm set up to beat it and i need to win the next two to make top 8 uh, and I played against this Soulty Midrange deck, and he was just, you know, he was just doing his thing, and he like played a Memorial to Folly and played some Explore creatures, and eventually I was like really trying to hit my sixth land drop, and he was, he just had ten in play, and I was like, well, well, come on, <laughs> and then he was like, oh, Hydroid Crisis off the top, you know, after I thought Erasured one, and he just like drew a bunch of cards, and I was way far behind. Yep. So, so yeah, I mean, I think that was our kind of like the thing that went wrong, I guess, in the tournament. Mm-hmm. Um, was that we just weren't as well set up to be those decks that we thought we were. Gotcha. We we did an excellent job of beating up on all of the Bant builds of the, like, all of the Growth Chamber Guardian mm-hmm. Incubation Druid Bant decks. Mm-hmm. They just had no, they didn't really have anything else going for them other than, like, those cards and, uh, you know, the top end was fine with Hydroid Crisis. Yeah. Um, but they weren't really trying to, you know, utilize it in the way that the uh, Sultai deck was. Right. They were just a pile of good cards. Yeah. But the Sultai deck was really putting together that plan of make a bunch of mana and have a bunch of Hydra Crisises. Right, right. So I think the question going forward is going to be, I mean, number one, what what beats these Sultai decks? Yeah. And, and we have some ideas there. Mm-hmm. But also, if you want to play the Sultai deck, how do you get an edge in the mirror? Because that's going to yeah, be yeah, really yeah. important going forward. Um, and what, what I think we saw... And, and I don't know if you got a chance to like listen to the top eight while driving or anything like that, but I think one of the things that played out on camera very clearly is that like Hydrocrisis is really important, yeah. but Vivian Reed actually beats up on it pretty badly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
not only does it kill it, but it also starts really digging for the other ones right. in your deck. <laughs> right. It right. does everything. <laughs> yeah. And and it like Hydrocrasis plays into that like Hydrocrasis naturally says use me as the only thing you cast on this turn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if the board's been trading off since then, that puts it into a position, you know, everything that a Planeswalker wants is to come down, minus to kill the threat, the one threat on the other side of the board, and then just run away with the game. Yeah. And so if you keep the board clear, kill their crisis with your your Vivian Reed, and then just get card, you know, keep getting cards and trading stuff off, you're going to outcard the crisis, and then you're also going to obviously get your own crises. I think that these Sultai decks going forward are probably going to want access to, like, four Vivian Reeds in the 75. Four's a lot, for sure. I mean, like, maybe, for sure. I, I was thinking three, but four four could be reasonable. I, I just think if you're boarding in one and they're not boarding up to four, yeah, like... Yeah, yeah, I mean, that, yeah. I mean, it sounds like an edge, for sure. So, yeah, I mean, you're just exploring into mm-hmm. Fines, Vivian Reeds, and Hydra Crisis. Exactly. That's, like, your top end. Right, and so you don't want less than... Four. I mean, maybe you don't want four fines necessarily because it it can be harder to set up. But I don't think yeah. you want less than four of the other ones if if they have four of them. Certainly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Certainly. I mean, yeah, for sure. It, it definitely feels like that is kind of what what kind of came out on top of Indianapolis, and that's really going to define what people are doing from here. Yeah. Moving forward. So what you know? What are you thinking now for like how how are we going into next week? and being happy to get paired against the Sultai decks. Do, do we have any ideas yet? Um, so I think that there are a couple of options. Uh, the problem is that the Sultai deck feels very Jundy in the sense that it's just so hard to tackle, right? Yep. So if you're going to tackle a Jund-style deck, you mm-hmm. have to consider a couple of options. Nexus of Fate is, I think, one of those options. Mm-hmm. You know, that is a way of going over the top of these Sultai decks pretty yep. well. You really have to watch out because that strategy is pretty susceptible to something like a like the discard and, and counter spells that right. this Sultai deck has access to post board. So that can be rough. I think you get game one. Mm-hmm. Like like we can pretty much spot you game one. Yeah, and then yeah, yeah. you've got to figure out how because yeah, that's another strength is that these decks just happen to have blue and black in them. So right, you right. can board three duresses and three negates or whatever. And that's rough. That's yeah. hard. For sure. Um, but the the one strategy that uh, I know Jonathan Rossum implemented and, uh, you know, I think a couple of people were on his deck, uh, Dylan Hand, for example, mm-hmm. they really liked the strategy of post-board with the Nexus Fate deck just boarding in four Hydroid Crisis mm-hmm. as their other plan. And then they could be this, like, Teferi Hydroid Crisis mid-range deck that eventually ended the game with, like, this, this huge expansion explosion. Or, you know, or just the Hydro Crisis. Who knows? That was kind of their plan against the blue decks that were bringing in a bunch of negates where, you know, you're expecting to be able to negate their thing and then they're like, all right, you know, Hydro Crisis, draw three cards or whatever. And, they're, and you're like, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so there are a lot of colors in, in their build, I guess. Yeah. So it's the, I think that most of the Nexus Fates decks are um, Bant, mm-hmm. but then you occasionally get to cast your explosion off of a um a gift of paradise, a gift of paradise. okay that i don't sense. think that they had any actual red lands but the gift of paradise you know you always... if they're taking infinite turns or, or whatever they're they'll find it right sure um, yeah i mean i know todd anderson was running like a non-nexus wilderness reclamation deck that was just leading really hard on expansion explosion yeah which is is cool but i think the like sideboard abilities of that deck are like like it's not able to adjust very well post board like you have access to good removal game one but the like teamer like options for adjusting like you don't 
you don't get discard spells you don't get like life gain stuff like like there just aren't a ton of options there so it it, it looked like it got beat up a little bit by people who knew what was going on yeah honestly wilderness reclamation got beat up a little bit at the open it did it did uh it didn't have that great of a day two record Mm -hmm. Uh, i think it was a really great day one deck um i saw a lot of them get to day two with pretty comfy records but then in day two, everybody had a plan for it. Okay. And it, it just, you know, uh, everybody who was in day two had done enough rigorous testing to know, oh, this is what I do against the Bant deck. Yep. Um, or, sorry, the, uh, yeah, the Nexus deck. Sure. And that's, I, I played against Dylan Hand in round one of day two. Um, of course, I got crushed game one, mm-hmm. but the both, uh, or is that how it played out? No, I lied, actually. I think I stole game one. But the postboard games felt really good for me because I had such a solid plan about what to do against him. Yep. And then in um, in our last game, I cast a... I was able to resolve a unmoored ego, and that was just kind of it for that. Yeah, and so. that's that's one of the reasons why I think that that zigzagging sideboard plan... It, mm-hmm. Like, I think that's great if you get unmoored egoed, and then you're just like, well, I have this hydrate crisis in my hand now after yeah. you took my two nexuses that are left in my deck like, right 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 that. um yeah well for yeah it, i guess it was a little different for for my strategy against mm-hmm. um his because uh the really the only thing that i cared about was the nexus of fates so they they did end up keeping all of them in um mm-hmm. against me because uh i just felt like if i could ever get the threat of dying if i ever tapped out out of the game then you can do whatever you then want. i can do whatever i want and my yeah. mid-range deck is just better than hydroid crisis plus teferi yeah um so so i can just beat up on on you know I, it was so frequent and this you know i lost once to um a nexus of fate deck but every other time i played against it I was able to strip them of those and then look through their deck and be and like pick out the cards that I knew that I was gonna have to be and it was only ever like three Teferis, four Hydroid Crisis, and then like one or two expansion explosions. Okay. And and I was like, wow, okay, my deck just easily crushes those things. Right. They, they You've have, been preparing for right. that the whole tournament yeah. anyways. If I just ever resolved a a biogenic ooze, then the game ended because they weren't playing any sweepers. I could just like make a bunch of oozes, and you know it doesn't like as long as I just make sure I'm not dying to their uh, hydrid crisis beatdown or whatever. Mm-hmm. Then the ooze is just game over. Yeah, talk so, to me about biogenic ooze. Like you guys were oh, playing I will. four this weekend. <laughs> yeah, so. We played four, and I was very happy with that. Decision. Okay, biogenic ooze. It felt a lot like Grave Titan. Mm-hmm. It was just something that came down, made a lot of power and toughness, had a, had a decent impact on the board. And then if it ever lived and you untapped with it, then you just, you know, it, you really take over the board in <laughs> extreme ways, right? Because, you know, if you ever slam your Grave Titan, you know, that's great or whatever. But often they kill it and then you got some bodies and that's fine. Yeah. But if you ever untapped with your Grave Titan, the game is over. Right. And, and you have Thought Erasure to help you untap with your oh, Grave yeah. Titan. Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that was that was a majority of how I felt like I won over the weekend was that I, like, traded resources, maybe Thought Erasure, and then, you know, Biogenic Ooze slam that you know if it lives i win sometimes i kill it and then i'll have like you know i'll be able to draw some cards with like a 4-4 thing and then you know keep the game going on that way but biogenic ooze was phenomenal for us yeah i Um, i've been impressed we thought it was it it was way stronger than i initially thought before our testing week so yeah that should definitely be noted one uh thing about biogenic ooze so i've been playing i've been trying wyatt's list from the top eight Mm -hmm. so this is Esper midrange. One card that I've been incredibly impressed with. And I, there, there's some tweaking that needs to be done to the deck. Like, 
it's a very weird and like kind of complicated deck to have built so i'm glad that i'm not putting it together from scratch because it's a hero of precinct one a bunch of gold cards sort of mess and the the build that wyatt played and, and took to the top eight ran in sort of its like expensive slots it ran three uh seraph of the scales and two lyra dawnbringers uh which i think were mainly because uh Seraph makes Lyra a little better, and then that you want to run Lyra because of the threat of mono red aggro. Uh, unfortunately, I think that costs you too many points, both in the control matchups and against Vivian Reed. Just having these like 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 Seraph is fine against Vivian Reed, Lyra is not fine against Vivian Reed. Mm. Um, and if those are two of your main enemies, then I think you want to go a different way. Uh, one of the lists in the top eight of the Magic Online PTQ sort of is playing the other side of those slots, which is whatever it's called, uh, Depose Deploy. Okay. And, and which one was that again? So that's the split card that taps a creature and draws a card okay. or makes two thopters and you gain some life. Yeah, yeah, um, Which also helps against Mono Red, so giving up the Lyras doesn't totally get rid of your... You know, this deck is actually still very good against Mono Red. Yeah. Um, and it runs Teferis in the Lyra slots, which I think... You know, it's it's a metagame call. Mm-hmm. I think for next weekend, I'm more likely to be on to fairies. Yeah. Um, just, I think it's better against those two scary decks. Um, yeah. Because talking about other ways to tackle this um, uh, bug midrange deck mm-hmm. is, you know, it, you're not going to be able to beat it on value. So if we're looking for other access to beat it on, you, uh, the aggro decks are a, a solid option against that deck. Yeah. Both Mono Red and uh, White Weenie, I think, are, are pretty strong options. Um, yeah. And Mono Red has a hard time if they have a Wild Growth Walker. Yeah. If they don't, it, it can never, they can never beat yeah. Mono Red. Yeah, yeah, it, it definitely feels that way. Because Mono Red, the, the strength of Mono Red has definitely gone up. It is it, through the roof. Yeah, yeah. The, the cards light up the stage and skewer are very, very strong. Mm-hmm. Um, and it definitely shows in, in standard as well as modern, but yeah. <laughs> but particularly yeah. in standard. Yeah. Right, and that was... Like, Mono Red was kind of the boogeyman going yeah. into yep. SCG Indie. And while none of the lists top-aided, it's still seen plenty of success in standard mm-hmm. so far. All right? yeah. You know, there were like five in the top 32. and Yeah, yeah. All... Two, at least two in the top 16 that I know of. Okay. Um, yeah, Caleb Chair and Julian John both made top 16 right. with, uh, with Mono Red. Uh, pretty different takes on Mono Red too, so it's well. Let's you know. let's talk about that because there's a couple of slightly different builds, and, yeah. and I want to talk about like why you would go one way or the other. Right. So uh, it felt to me like the the options were whether or not you played for Experimental Frenzy in the main or not. Yep. Some of the some of the Mono Red decks were just really all about landing an Experimental Frenzy and optimizing their deck to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. So it often comes with Steamkin as well, which isn't yeah. in all of the So these are the lists. Steamkin Monored decks. Yeah, exactly. And the other ones... So that was so that was what Julian was playing, is he had kind of like a bigger version of of Red. You know, mm-hmm. he had some... Like maybe one Phoenix in his main deck or something. Uh, just, you know... Because that card is also really, really strong against um, these green midrange decks. It is, yeah. So there's so there's that deck, and then the other side of the spectrum for Mono Red is just more of a sly one drops build uh, that Caleb was playing, where he was playing more low to the ground, Wizards Lightning, Risk Factor as kind of the the like you know your payoff spell slot. And uh, you know I honestly I think I like Caleb's list a little better. I think that 
like not going all in on the experimental frenzy, but still have access to that post board if sure. you want is just like a, a kind of a better formula in my mind. Mm-hmm. But um, I haven't done a ton of testing with with that. So, so I've played several leagues with kind of both types of mono red. Okay. So sometimes Steamkin is totally insane. Yeah. A lot of times it's just like, whoops, you put a good target in your deck for this moment of craving or this cast down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Where otherwise none of your creatures are actually good targets for it. Right. And it feels like it's that more often than it like is actually allowing you to go super crazy with Experimental Frenzy. So, you know, my I would want a better option there, and I'm not sure how to find it. As far as experiment like what what your card advantage thing is whether it's risk factor or experimental frenzy i think they just they're they're each a call like like risk factor is terrible if your opponent is gaining life yeah and experimental frenzy is fine yeah. experimental frenzy is also fine if you've been trading resources like it allows you to play a different first three turns of the game than you're kind of forced into if you have risk factor right but it really doubles down on your weakness to discard and counter spells and what I've been noticing is opponents bringing in a lot of duresses and spell pierces and even a negate or two against mono red. And mono red is composed of such a heavy proportion of burn spells now that that's actually really, really effective. Mm. Uh, the game plan is so reliant on unloading 9 or 12 points of burn spells at some point in the game that if they disrupt that, it it kind of dumpsters you a little bit and yeah. all of your previous work is is undone by like a duress on your light up the stage that you really needed to get cards out of yeah yeah so experimental frenzy sits in your hand for a while and is completely vulnerable to the thought erasure or the duress and if you get it spell pierced like that's just a tempo loss that you can never come back from out of the red <laughs> yeah. deck yeah so i think it might be mostly what you're expecting to run into and also sometimes experimental frenzy just gets vivian readed and that's really bad yeah 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 yeah. for sure i um i definitely vraska's vraska the relic seeker a couple of experimental frenzies yeah that that felt pretty good yeah you 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 get them that's that's really hard right um just like game one all right yeah i got an answer to this (laughs) but i've also just been disappointed in how inflexible risk factor is yeah and you know even playing towards it sometimes like they play a wild growth walker you don't have you know the wizard's lightning to immediately kill it there yeah uh, and you're just like well shoot and then they gain life and then your risk factor is just a dead card and that can be really frustrating so i'm not sure what the best choice is for for the build at the moment but i i do know that mono red in general like the 50 cards that is de- are definitely in the main deck is a really powerful core well, yeah well i mean light of the stage is crazy <laughs> that card is nuts yeah it's so good it's red draw two cards it's, it it's, just is it's thought cast in a deck that wants thought cast more than any other deck could possibly want thought cast yeah, yeah so yeah. in the red you know in the mono red deck right. that's not a mono red color pie card <laughs> no you know no not even a little but yeah. here we are yeah, they want Red's card advantage to be all like you really got to work for it, and you you also it needs to force you into, um, you know, having to do things immediately. And Red's like, okay, I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so I have to attack with my Gitu Lava Runner this turn to play this spell? Yeah, I'll, yeah, yeah. I'll do that. Right, for sure. Yeah, Lava Runner is also one of the cards that's just gotten way better in that deck. It is like Lava Runner in turn one is legitimately a scary thing yeah. instead of just like okay that's a one drop yeah. like you have to play it because it's a one it's now like that's like very close to goblin guide no it, it really is and and honestly the the 
uh, Light at the Stage's ability to hit lands is mm-hmm. so strong because sometimes you're on this like maybe one to two lander and you have like a you're on the play you have your one drop and you have a Light at the Stage. Mm-hmm. It's just so likely that you're going to be able to get that hit in on turn two and then Light at the Stage to draw into your lands. Yep. Um, and that play pattern I've noticed a lot with the Modern Burn deck that I've been playing with. And also, you know, I'm, I'm assuming that that kind of play pattern is going to happen maybe even more in Standard because, yeah. you know, nobody's going to have their one-mana removal spells as much in Standard. Right. There and just that, really aren't much. That's the thing is this is another one of those decks that makes, I think, Shock is still really, really good right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you're playing red and you're playing against a deck that can Shock your turn one play, like that feels, it turns off parts of your deck completely. Yeah. Uh, and it, it just makes your draw much more awkward and you lose out on free damage. Mm-hmm. So the, the ways to beat the mono red deck right now are basically like start interacting from turn one. And if you do, then they lose a lot of their advantage. Yeah. Um, or you there's like a specific group of powerful life gain cards that let you catch back up. And so we yeah. got Wild Growth Walker, uh, Absorb Counts, Revitalizes in there, and then <laughs> Basilica Bellhaunt. Uh, yeah, and don't forget about Hydroid Crisis. Yes, Hydroid <laughs> Crisis is a good one too, but yeah, like you can get under the Crisis. Yeah, 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 for sure. Bellhaunt is impossible to R- beat. R- remind me what that does again. Okay, so you didn't have to care about this card because you were playing Sultai. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're playing Mountains, <laughs> Basilica Bellhaunt is white, white, black, black for a 3-4. When it enters the battlefield, your opponent discards a card and you gain three life. Wow, okay. It, it is a wall that they cannot attack through. A 3-4. And it just, like, th- 3 for ones them when it comes into play. Hilarious. Uh, it is incredibly brutal, and it's the reason that I like this Esper deck. Okay. Is because, you know, this is mostly a creature slash couple of Planeswalker-based deck. Yeah. It gets on the board with Hero of Precinct 1. I've also been very impressed with Deputy of Detention, which is oh, a thing yeah. that I, like, tried to, like, that was one of my, like, trying to segue things because I, I it was one of the answers to a bunch of oozes in play is you deputy the detention all the oozes nice um but yeah de- deputy has been really good but having access to basilica bell haunt against the mono red decks just mm. like changes that matchup completely um they are forced to kill all of your stuff because <laughs> you start with hero precinct one if they don't kill it it just it'll take over clogs up the board yeah uh if you then you play like a deputy of detention if they don't kill it it's just a two for one like blocker and has eaten a guy and then you play basilica bell haunt and like they've just aimed removal spells at two of your creatures (laughs) and now you make them discard a card you gain like they don't have enough resources to kill you after that yeah 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 and now that's a perfect curve but all of these cards are very good at at any point in the game against the red deck so yeah yeah so that's that's why i've really liked this deck is that it just has a really powerful plan against the red deck and i've felt pretty reasonable against the green decks but part of that is like Wally Growth Walker is early anemic play against the deck because you can uh, reset it with your deputies and, and hostage takers. So the early game kind of belongs to you and then uh, you have planeswalkers and stuff. But I'm not totally sure about that matchup yet. I need to play it quite a bit more. Yeah. And if you go late, obviously they just beat you with Cressus and you can't possibly keep up. So <laughs> Right, right, for sure. <laughs> but yeah, so, so you know, what I'm trying to hit with this deck, and I'm not totally confident that I have, mm-hmm. um, and I've, I've switched some slots around, I've switched some sideboard slots around and that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. What what the goal is to me for this weekend is if my opponent plays turn one Mountain Gitu Lava Runner, I go, oh, that's okay. 
Yeah. And if my opponent plays turn two Merfolk Branch Walker or Wild Growth Walker, I go, okay, that's okay. Not necessarily like feeling like I'm, you know, a huge favorite against the green deck, but I don't. I think if you go to the tournament and your opponent starts on Overgrown Tomb, you're like, shoot, <laughs> yeah. that's bad. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty bad for sure. I mean, yeah, it's going to be one of the most popular decks. It won the tournament. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it it definitely had a very clear, strong game plan that came out on top. Yep. Um, all of those factors are going to really push it into a high metagame percentage uh, in at least the early iterations of standard. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, the, the Esper decks I, I do like a lot. I think that they, they to me, demonstrate that it's not over. You know, right. <laughs> they, to me, demonstrate that, okay, Hydra Crisis isn't the end-all be-all. There are other powerful decks that you know that have their ways of winning Mm -hmm. um the i played against a lot of people on day two who were playing just like uh i played against a mardu angels flyers guy who just like had a strong curve of like the i can't remember what the three three for three angel is that if you gain enough resplendent angel yeah resplendent angel and the shalai and the lyra that formula works really well against these green mid-range decks sure um, so that's definitely, you know, an important thing to, to keep an eye on. You can't Vivian their three drop, their four drop and their five drop. Oh, exactly. So. Yeah. I mean, you know, you, you can't hit them all because right. if it's just one hydro crisis, you can definitely get it. But if it's, you know, if they're just curving out with them, all these threats that are going to really put a lot of pressure on you, it's tougher. Yeah. That's one funny thing that I noticed is, and, and like Phoenix was on its way out at the end of last format anyways we were mostly playing drakes if we were playing any sort of blue red deck yeah. uh, arclight phoenix was not where we wanted to be now i think arclight phoenix is super not where you want to be because one four four crisis and you just can't like the, the game plan against the green black decks with the phoenix based deck was use them as a value engine mm-hmm. and block and then eventually turn the corner and, and and kill them with the phoenixes one four four crisis in play like yeah it's over <laughs> yeah right it's just all right they made it to six lands and they have this spell that gained them two life and drew them two cards right like how many, some things. Yeah. how many times can you lava coil the, their mole drifter right like, yeah exactly pretty rough yeah so if you're gonna play blue red i guess it's probably drakes but drakes feels not good to yeah. me right now because yeah. niv is not very good right now yeah um i did notice that that was that was definitely pretty interesting it's it's not the the game ender that it, that it has been in the past which yeah. is interesting and i i mean it was never a very good card against the black green decks like my sideboard plans always included boarding out all of my niv mm-hmm. and i i guess that's probably part of why niv is bad yeah but and also maybe just because there aren't as many like pure control decks running around at this moment because it's hard to do that on week one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was just a weird thing that I wasn't totally sure why Niv-Mizzet just seems really atrocious right now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just everybody's kind of getting all their value in other ways. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, and there are a lot of, like, Vivian Reeds running around. And yep. uh, all of the cards that kind of, like, kill it that don't trigger it are, you know, if there's a surplus of those cards in the format, I think that that's probably what helps make it suffer. But Sure. Yeah. But yeah, um, one one small thing that I've noticed is you don't really need to be afraid of a Danto Vanguard right now. Like I know we're running a couple of moment of moments of craving in a lot of black decks, anyways, just because the gaining two life is really good against mono red. Yeah, but the two drop of choice has seemed to be just different stuff. Yeah. Basically, stuff that's not dead against Gitu Lava Runner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so don't be afraid. Like if you want to, if you think that you have a Just Guy Control build that you're like happy playing against the black green the, the sultai decks 
then I think it's totally fine to play and not worry about Adanto Vanguard. Like, we don't need to be running seal aways or something right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, for sure. You know, just Speaking one of Adanto Vanguard, though, one of the decks we haven't talked a lot about yet is the, the White Weenie deck. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there were, I think, two versions of that deck that did well in the tournament. There was the red version, which is the classic mm-hmm. um, build. I played against just pretty much traditional White Weenie, Boros version in the last round of the tournament. Yep. Um, with his, heroic reinforcements? Yeah, or, with heroic yeah. reinforcements. And his deck was definitely very strong mm-hmm. and, you know, pretty scary to play against. Uh, so that, I, I wouldn't underestimate that. Just kind of that old deck. It's still uh, powerful. By any means. It's it's doing ridiculously powerful things. Yep. But the other version of that deck that uh, I know Andrew Ellenbogen and Max Magnuson both worked on together mm-hmm. uh, was the White Weenie deck that splashed blue for uh, Deputy of Detention and Counterspells out of the sideboard. Yeah. And that formula, to me, sounded really strong for for this for this particular tournament. The, it felt like the aggressive decks struggled the most against the Fog deck. Yeah. So having access to blue for Counterspells out, out, out of the sideboard felt really strong. Um, and also, uh, Deputy of Detention is just... A, it, it felt a lot like Reflector Mage in many contexts, in this aggressive deck specifically. Deputy of Detention is $2 right now. <laughs> I don't think it's going to stay $2. Is it a rare? It's a rare. Okay, yeah. yeah. So, right? Because they can't print this at Uncommon and Limited. Yeah, no, this is no, this no. is a rare. Yeah. Yeah, it's $2 right now. I, I like looked it up just a couple of minutes ago. And, uh, yeah, pick up some Deputies of Detention. You're going to want to play them sooner yeah. or later. In this they're, they're really good. Yeah, definitely one of the cards that didn't see a lot of play, but we kind of know through testing or it's very strong and you know what doing that detention sphere thing where it just like gets all of x yeah it gets all of the tokens yes i have had games where like I, like i've had games against like green white where my opponent had kind of a slow start and then the ixalan's binding one of my things and so i thought i am sure that they have a second ixalan's binding yeah i played another thing that's attempting target yeah i played ixalan's binding and i just got both of their ixalan's <laughs> gross it was insane so yeah. like that part of the card in standard where most cards are four ofs mm-hmm. is like very very good sometimes you just get two wild growth walkers and yeah attack and it's right. great no for sure and you know and i think it really shines in this this white weenie shell because the that not if they kill it then you're still kind of like get that one attack in from it which mm-hmm. is really nice um and a pretty important part of that and it also allows you not to have to play as many conclave tribunals anymore yeah um it kind of like is that effect on its own so that's all pretty nice yeah and the fact that you know but the you get that attack out of it is part of the reason why it's not so bad that they get it back when they kill it and also just the game ends a lot more quickly when you're the white weenie deck they have yeah. less time to find to the find thing, the thing eventually to kill it, yeah, right, yeah. right, and and their their removal is already taxed because they've been trying to kill your stuff from turn one, so right. you know they're less likely to. It's not good against wrath. So no. it's yeah, pretty pretty bad against the wrath. Pretty bad against wrath. But yeah, I I think it's definitely worth noting that. Yeah, I sure. in in general, the aggro decks that are not based on light of the stage and skewer the critics are. Mm-hmm have a really hard time closing the game against the the fog decks like basically any of the wilderness reclamation decks so i think you do need an angle i think heroic reinforcements kind of counts as that angle just because it makes your clock so much faster yeah but that doesn't do anything if they've started fogging at that point i believe like this is is this one of the reasons why you didn't play the judith deck that you were working on like 
was it like that match those matchups being hard or it was okay yeah um yeah you couldn't really ever beat fog which was one of the big deals mm-hmm. and then the wild growth walker decks were kind of a problem mm-hmm. um you just didn't really have much ways to to push additional damage okay uh and then also judith was probably one of the more overhyped cards i think from the set um, it itself is pretty powerful, right? But the shells that you had to put it in just never cut it. Mm-hmm. You like, I think that the best shell that we came up with was essentially just like Judith in an effectively white weenie strategy. But that white weenie strategy would have been better if we cut the Judiths for just better mana, and then you know the cards that we know are really strong, which mm-hmm. are uh, you know Benelish Marshall and um, Venerated Loxodon and Venerated Loxodon. Yeah. You know we know those cards work amazingly in this white weenie shell. So yeah, yeah Judith. Not so great. And honestly, I just don't know if I saw a single Judith. Yeah, it really uh, hasn't been. I, I think the decks in day, in day two at least. just aren't there now. Yeah. I, I We may need to wait for more cards to be printed for her to be good. Like, like I, I agree. She is, on her own, extremely powerful. But yeah. I played against a bunch of Judith decks. If I kill the Judith... Like, the rest of their deck does nothing. Yeah, it's pretty bad. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that Judith is definitely one of those traps because it, it the raw power level of the card on its own was so high yep. that I think a lot of people fell into the trap of, let's make this Judith deck. Mm-hmm. But then you remove Judith from that deck and you take another look at it and the deck is just It's bad. just bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and that just, you just can't, you just can't do that in, in the standard format. Yep. Um, or a constructed format. Right. It's just like, I just don't think it's a good deck building. Philosophy. You can only play so many like Footlight Fiend level cards in a constructed right. deck before right. it collapses in on itself. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, definitely notice. Worth noting that 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 didn't really ever show up. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, I'll admit I was surprised by that because I definitely predicted like Judith decks are going to be one of the pillars mm-hmm. of the metagame. But yeah, once you go in and you build them and you try to make them work and you realize the weaknesses of them, including you know, you need a trick against the fog decks. And whether that's burn spells to the face yeah. or negates out of the sideboard, and the Judith decks don't really have that available unless we're doing something really weird with Priests of the Forgotten Gods or something, which is too <laughs> slow and yeah, blah, yeah, yeah. blah, blah. I mean, I, I looked for, you know, I, I looked for a while for, like, mm-hmm. ways of sacking all my guys or, you know, whatever, but yeah. none of it was really yeah. uh, that effective. No, we don't have any Falconrath Aristocrats, which I think is Bumper. a big problem. Yeah, all of the sack outlets cost mana. Boo. Uh, they kind of did that on purpose. <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably. Well, maybe wait for more cards, maybe wait for a, a metagame shift. Once once the format is all creatures running into creatures, oh, then great, then Judith great. is phenomenal in that in that but, context. But sure. we're a little while removed from that. Yeah, I think so. Um, the the one Rakdos deck that I saw that I really liked was just the straight burn deck. Mm-hmm. It was playing the drain your opponent for three and gain three life for two sovereigns bite, sovereigns bite, and then the real engines were. Uh, so the deck was essentially all all of the burn spells. Yeah, you know, shocks, lightning strikes, skewers, wizards, lightning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all that, all that good good stuff. But all spells. Um, and then it really leaned pretty heavily on risk factor. Risk factor was insane in that deck. Yep. It was just a, a burn spell with flashback essentially because your opponent could never let you draw three cards, which is going to include two three damage <laughs> burn spells. Yeah. And then the other card that was really impressive out of that deck was sword point diplomacy, mm-hmm. which was. You know, if you ever resolved that card that felt like against a mid-range deck, they felt like the game ended. It was crazy. See, I've seen like last format people were trying this. Obviously the mana is way better now, so that's that's a huge difference yeah. maker. I always felt 
like the thing I was excited about building one of these black red burn decks in new standard was the opportunity to cut sword point diplomacy from the deck. Oh really? But but yeah. maybe it's well now now that we have so much card draw and redundancy, mm-hmm. sword point diplomacy in this deck it looks really phenomenal because we have you've got light of the stage as ways of drawing cards. You've got sword point diplomacy to really to do that, and then uh, risk factor as well. And yeah. all of those cards together gives you gives your burn deck this massive amount of card advantage. Mm-hmm. And uh, to be fair, it's which something... you th- which you then throw away by pointing your burn spells. Well, of, of course, of course, <laughs> right. But but that's the whole premise. That's right. what you want to be doing the whole time, right? Right. So, We're, it's a philosophy of fire deck. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and I played against that guy. Uh, there was a guy who's doing well in day two of the tournament, and I played against him. And I, I game one, I thought I registered. He went tap Rakdos land, tap Rakdos land, go, and I was like, what, what's happening? So I thought I registered him on my turn two, and he showed me a hand of. Uh, sword point diplomacy, two risk factors, and all lands. And I was like, I can't win. I'm dead. <laughs> I, I mean, he's just going to cast, uh, you know, it doesn't matter what he draws. He's just going to cast risk factor for the next three turns, and I just can't beat that. Yeah. Um, you know, what am I supposed to do? Let him draw a bunch of cards in my, like, dirtily, super slow mid-range deck? Right, right. Um, and somehow I was able to pull out the next two games, but... Um, well, I think the somehow is you boarded in the gates and duresses, right? And, sure. And yeah. that's a big... Like, these decks have a really rough time. When you get your three-mana card-drawing thing negated... Right, and I did feel like I set up and executed that plan really, yep. really well post-board, was that I just never let him resolve any of his card advantage cards. Light up the stage, um, sword point diplomacy, and risk factor. Mm-hmm. And But even every time he cast risk factor, I was like, oh no. What do because, I do? Yeah. you know, like, too- I, I'm lucky to be able to negate it, but he's going to he's gonna be able to do it again from yeah. the graveyard, and that's rough. Um, but that deck looked really impressive to me. Yeah, and if your opponent is not interacting on those axes, mm-hmm. and the the problem is like its speed isn't quite there. So like in if your opponent is playing cheap creatures and attacking you with them, like you really need to draw like two sovereign's bites or something like that. Yeah. Um, and so it has that like inevitability along that axis against the slower decks. But boy, the slower decks really do have access to a lot of negates and duresses right now. Yeah. Um, some of them have wild growth walkers and um so the, so the concept is definitely there but i think that we are in a kind of hostile for sure metaphor for sure yeah um yeah i don't know if it'll you know carry on past this weekend at all but, mm-hmm. but i do like the, theater of horrors in a deck like that too oh yeah that was the other card that i definitely failed to mention that really turned on that deck was that yeah i think that he was running some number of main deck theater pours and at least four in the 75 yeah yeah because he cast that post board against me and i uh i thought i was gonna be dead for sure but luckily <laughs> i was able to find nebraska in time so <laughs> it worked out uh why did i play a permanent <laughs> right yeah 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 get blown up <laughs> Finally, I can interact. Quickly! Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's so... Del- oh, yeah. Okay, so that's something that we also need to talk about a little bit. And we've mentioned this before, but Mortify is the best removal spell in the format. Mortify is phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, very, very strong. Just not even... It cool. kills everything. Yeah. It, it, you know, it doesn't kill Planeswalkers, mm-hmm. which is kind of like the one permanent that, that you're going to try to want to kill. But it kills the enchantments in the format, and there are a lot of enchantments that are very relevant in the format. Yep. And it kills the creatures. And yep. that's just exactly what we want. It instant speed. And the fact that the top-end threat out of the, the green decks is now Hydrocrasis and not Carnage Tyrant 
Um, like, yes, they got cards out of the Hydra Crassus, but if you get, if you're, and you should be aiming the game to a point where, like, they need the body of the Crassus when they cast it yeah. to be a thing, a lot of times you get a huge amount of tempo by aiming the Mortify at the huge Crassus and swinging in and, yeah, yeah. um, you know, if they had cast a Carnage Tyrant, you couldn't do that, but nobody's casting Carnage Tyrant right now, so. Right, right, right. So three mana removal spells while not the best against one mana red creatures, go up all the way up the chain from like three mana creatures on up. And so that, that makes Mortify pretty good right now, I think. Agreed. Let's see. What else, what haven't we hit on yet? Yeah, what are we missing from, from standard discussion? Uh, so Gates decks. Oh, yeah. I've heard a lot of mixed feelings about Gates decks. <laughs> there's two camps. There's the camp that thinks that they're unplayable, and there's the camp that thinks that it's broken. It's just the end-all be-all of, of what Sander wants to do right now. I'm pretty... Like, my tent is mostly built in the unplayable <laughs> camp. Yeah, yeah. I, I'll i be honest, I'm, I'm just not really sure. Mm-hmm. I've heard... Because the only thing that I have to base it off of is the opinions of people who have played the decks. Yeah. You know, and I, I respect your opinion, and I respect uh, the other people in the other camp's opinion as well. So I'm, I'm kind of caught in this place where, like, I probably just need to test it more, mm-hmm. you know, read at all, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, just to see what it really looks like. But, yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of crazy that all of a the sudden there's a Gates archetype. So... Here's my experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I drafted Ravnica Legion some on Arena, mm-hmm. which means that you pick all of the uncommon gate payoffs. Yeah. Because that's the only way to draft it on Arena, because they're just so much better than all the other cards in the set. Yeah, yeah. So, and then I saw that Sam Black had posted a list of a gates deck, and I thought, well, I'll give this a shot, because I don't think I need to turn any wild cards into cards to make this deck. Sure. And I haven't played any ladder, so I'm going to try laddering with it. Yeah. I just got demolished. Oh no! At bronze on ladder. <laughs> That's not where you want to be. No, it wasn't, and and it was not an optimized build. And I had to change some stuff out, and like I added some definite clarions to it because you needed the early, the extra early sweepers. But basically, the way that and and they all have a similar core. Even if whether we're talking about the Nexus of Fate gate decks or the ones that are just going up to giant gate colossuses and stuff yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. They all have the same concept to it, which are, we have a lot of gates. We're playing Gates Ablaze, which is excellent. That card is very good. Yeah, yeah. That card is the entire reason to play the deck. Right, right, right. If you don't draw Gates Ablaze, your deck doesn't function. (laughs) If they have creatures in play and you don't draw Gates Ablaze, oh my goodness. Right. Because uh, all your lands come into play tap. <laughs> Whoops, all of my lands come into <laughs> oh, play no. tap. How did this happen? Right, yeah. <laughs> Wait a minute, I feel like we needed to fix it. Oh, we can't. <laughs> and and they, the deck does have access to really powerful card advantage engines yeah. in, like, Guild Summit. If you resolve that, then you have a lot of mana. If you resolve uh, Circuitous Root, and then you have the ability to, like, Explosion or Crisis for a lot of cards. Um, so it does have those, like, late-game card advantage things going on uh which are powerful but just the way you need to draw all of your cards in exactly the right order and the fact that you just have all these lands that come into play tapped and the fact that if you don't have an angel you just get burned out by mono red and can't possibly (laughs) ever win yeah and you have to like sequence your cards have to come off the top exactly right to beat mono red which is i i need to like gates ablaze them I, ideally, you get to grow spiral and then gates ablaze and then circuitous root and then angel. And they have to have had like a kind of not perfect draw, yeah. or else they just killed you before the angel came down, even through the gates ablaze. So, 
a gift of paradise can help if you draw multiple of the land that gains you three life you can get there and that land is i guess that's the other good card in the deck the two good cards in the deck are gates of blaze and the land that gains you three life yeah those are really powerful cards but your deck is just filled with a bunch of nonsense and a bunch that comes into play tap lands so yeah. i don't see it happening yeah yeah i i that's kind of my my initial impressions of it as well is mm-hmm. that we're it's people are kind of trying too hard to make a draft archetype into a deck yeah um and that can happen sometimes but this time the draft archetype seems extraordinarily strong and also the you know the, it definitely has legs at least in in the standard format yeah it's um, not on like you can beat real decks with it and yeah. you can do powerful things with it yeah I, I just don't think you can do them consistently enough yeah yeah, yeah. To, to make it something that you should bring to a serious tournament. Yeah, that's all. Yeah, no, absolutely. That makes sense, for sure. Yeah, I don't want to make any super hard statements on it one way or the other mm-hmm. yet, but... Uh, right, you haven't played it yet, so... Yeah. But it definitely seems um, like a, a wonky one. It's just so hard. Like, I can't even really apply any of my other heuristics to it. They all seem to be it's a not one. applicable to, <laughs> for to sure. this tech, so. For sure. Yeah. I also want to put on my complaining hat for a minute. Okay. And talk about this archetype in the arena limited format oh so i don't think it's a problem at all in ravnica allegiance draft okay because everybody knows gatebreaker ram is insane everybody knows gate colossus is insane everybody knows gates of blaze is insane so those get first picked yeah the bots on arena don't take them (laughs) oh no (laughs) if you see a gatebreaker ram in your first pack yeah you're probably just gonna take it you honestly don't have to you can leave it in there, and there's like a real good chance it just comes back around. Oh, boy. And for those of you who haven't been playing Limited, this is two and a green for a 2-2 Vigilance Trample that gets plus one, plus one for each gate you control. It's almost impossible in the format for it not to be a three-mana, 3-3 three, three Vigilance Trample, which is great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But if you're building the gate, state, gate stack, it's just a three-mana, 6-6 six, six Trample. Yeah. Uh, and it's not beatable. Jeez. So Vigilance. Vigilance. And Trample. And Trample. And large. It's so big. <laughs> in Limited, that combination is very strong. It's incredible. Yeah. Uh, and then Gate Colossus is obviously just big. It's bigger than any other creature in the format and is really hard to block. Yeah. And you just get a lot of them. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the matches that I've played, because I don't draft any deck without... Like, I, I take these uncommon payoffs over almost anything. Yeah. Whatever colors I end up being, I have eight plus gates in my deck. Yeah, yeah. No matter what, even if I'm, like, a Rakdos-based deck, I'll be splashing two colors off of all of the gates that I get. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it just doesn't matter what I'm drafting. I'm trying to fit all of these uncommon payoffs in my deck. And my opponents who... I think is most of my opponents now have also figured this out and it just becomes like who opened more uncommon payoffs in their draft and it's not very fun. Yeah. So. Well, bummer. Yeah. So we're now we're getting super punished for the arena draft format. Yeah. I mean, it just lame. If it were humans, it'd be fixed. Yeah. So there's a clear. All right, arena, get on it. Yeah. We need to, we need to move past uh, drafting with bots. I think pretty, pretty quickly. I, I think so. I mean, yes, they can patch this, right? Yeah, they can yeah, yeah. tell the bots, okay, please start first picking these gatebreaker rams because they're very good. Yeah, Take yeah. the gates a little higher because I shouldn't be able to just end up with 10 gates in three colors every draft. Yeah. But that's just one patch onto a format. And maybe it's been to a slightly lesser extent, but each of the draft formats so far in Arena have had at least a period 
where there was an exploitable deck that you could draft almost every single time. Yeah. Uh, in Dominaria, you could just draft Mono Red 14 lands, mm-hmm. and it was very, very good, and you almost always got it. <laughs> uh, yeah. Guilds of Ravnica, you could only draft Demir for the first month or something like that. Yeah. So it, it's it's getting a little yeah. frustrating. Yeah. I, yeah. I, uh, I've, I've always... I've always, when I initially heard that it was going to be bots for mm-hmm. for draft on arena, I was like, "Ugh, yeah. it's going to suck. It's going to be so much different." And now, just like hearing that it's just like <laughs> very true that it sucks and is different. Yeah, mm, and, I'm not about it. And I've had people talk to me, and they're like, "Well, my conceptualization of it is that it's not a draft; it's just mm. a third limited format. You've got sure. sealed, you've got draft, and then you've got this arena, arena draft. draft. Yeah, which makes sense to me, but." And that's okay. I can accept that as a third format, but they need to make it not exploitable in these ways or else it becomes very frustrating. Sure. So. That makes sense. The easiest way to fix it is just to put people in there with you. Yay! Yeah. At least the cleanest way for me. Right. Because I like drafting. Maybe they're trying to wait until Arena gets so popular that they feel like those will fire very Mm -hmm. quickly. And they're just, like, not happy with the wait times right now. Yeah. Um, and, and I mean, it is really convenient doing an arena draft because if you get halfway through it and then you have to go do something, you can just put the draft down. Yeah. And that's yeah, kind of yeah. nice. But I feel like the 10-minute commitment to do the draft is fine. It's fine. Right. Maybe at least at least have it be an option. Yeah. You know? So... But anyways, anyways. take our complaining hats off. Now. Yeah, yeah. No, no need for that. I mean, Arena is still pretty great. Yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, like, Arena is phenomenal yeah. for testing standard and, and all that stuff. Yeah. So don't want don't to take too much away from that. Yeah. Okay, complaining hats back on. Uh, oh, Because okay. it is now time to talk about coverage stuff and GP New Jersey. Oh, boy. Yeah, solidly back on complaining <laughs> hats. <laughs> so in case you're not quite as invested in Magic the Gathering Twitter and all that sort of stuff, yep. um, GP New Jersey, first limited GP of uh, Ravnica Allegiance, had no coverage, mm-hmm. which isn't that insane for a limited GP Although early in the format, I think they, they've usually tried to get these on stream yeah. so we can see the new cards. Um, but there was no coverage, even though there was supposed to be, which is doubly weird because this one actually got sponsored by Tigtone, <laughs> by the creators of Tigtone. Awkward. Uh, and so what did they get? Uh, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Yikes. I assume that it gets made up at some point. Uh... But this whole thing was very weirdly handled and i think people didn't know there wasn't going to be coverage until watsi replied like to someone else's tweet (laughs) saying oh no there's no coverage for this gp and also there was no text coverage at all so you couldn't check standings in the middle of the tournament wow you know and that's one of the fun things if you couldn't make it to a gp but your friends could you can at least go check the the standings keep up with them that way yeah and you get to see like the pictures of the undefeated the the ninos at the end of day one and you get to see the picture of the winner with their trophy and stuff and we're not even totally sure that the winner got a trophy at gp new jersey right yeah i heard a bit a bit about that some drama being where um they just were like nope we ain't we don't got one i think it's actually that they're going to send him one later but they didn't have a gp new jersey trophy well at the at the GP. That's a bummer. And then there's just the saddest picture in the world of the top eight drafting at like a no tablecloth table with like a couple of people around and just the oh. hall is completely empty. Nobody's watching this. Like PV is drafting. Like 
I, yeah, I want to be a I want to be a fly on the wall for PV drafting, of course. And it just it just <sighs> so if we're trying to turn magic into an esport, yeah, and we're trying to present it to a wider audience, yeah, we can't be doing this, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, I I just don't really know what else to say to add to this, you know. It's just like it's just so bad. It feels like that, you know, just what decision making process. I think that here's okay. So here here's some some comprehensive thoughts on this for mm-hmm. me as a business move from Watsi. Like we, I think that in order to understand what's happening here, we really have to put ourselves in the shoes of Wizards of the Coast and and the numbers that they see. Yeah, how much they they probably did some market analysis. And determined that the benefits that they got for having coverage at Grand Prix did not supersede the cost that they were spending mm. to do that kind of thing. Sure. Right. I, I, and if that's true, then it makes sense for them to at least scale it back or or stop doing it at some point. That I can understand that, right? Mm. The thing that has me the most frustrated, though, is just the the way in which they're going about that. Mm-hmm. They're... They're not really communicating with us very well on what their plans are moving forward. Having things be a surprise at the the weekend of is terrible. And um, it's constant. And oh, very constant. This is not sure. an like it's not a surprising thing that they right. announced this in the yeah. reply we're to like, a tweet. Yeah, we're like, oh yeah, okay, this is how we learn information now about these things. Yeah. And then, you know, if if they are going to you know remove the coverage in that context like say they're not streaming it anymore mm-hmm. they don't want to pay commentators you know all of the things that go into that yeah then i think that all that's fine but at least give us the text coverage and it, it sounds like they are willing to do that moving forward i don't you know i didn't really keep it up wasn't too much super with that. clear i i'm not totally sure if we're getting text coverage going forward it, mm-hmm. it seemed like it might have been a more permanent or at least multiple gps won't have any text coverage right. sort of thing yeah so, you know, so it feels like they, they probably made some sort of, you know, business decision that mm-hmm. led to, we don't want to cover these things in the way that we have before. Yeah. Um, maybe that's because they really want to put more money into um, coverage of their premiere events, like the Pro Tours, uh, or whatever they're called these days. Um, <laughs> Mythic Championships. Excuse me. Yes. <laughs> so maybe, you know, maybe we're going to be really blown away by those and it'll be great because they do like good coverage for that kind of stuff. I don't know. It, it feels also, you know, just kind of more of we're just not really in the loop anymore. Well, yeah. And so that's a big thing. And that's that's really tough. And that's normal for Wizards now. Mm-hmm. Or not now, but that's been normal for Wizards for a very long time is this really poor communication. And yeah. so that's a problem. What I'm seeing here that's really troubling to me is a huge gap between their premier play with their the the uh you know the top thirty two professional level players that are getting paid to play magic mm-hmm. a gigantic gap between those and basically everybody else and what exists already is the Grand Prix circuit yeah like that exists and these Grand Prix are happening and Wizards is doing nothing to make use of that in a way that makes, you know, one of the things that a lot of people have been talking about in the wake of this is like, there's not much incentive for pros to play these Grand Prix anymore. Yeah. And so you don't get to go, you know, oh, I 3-0'd this GP. 
like like I I three owed my first three rounds and now I get to play against Reed Duke yeah and then yeah, yeah. Reed Duke beats the crap out of me yeah. but like I got to play against Reed Duke and he was really nice about it right like that's <laughs> that's probably not going to happen very much anymore yeah. uh, and that's sad mm-hmm. because that's that like tournament where you cross paths with pros is like pretty cool that didn't happen a ton because there were fifteen hundred people in the GP or whatever yeah but I. <sighs> Like, we can look at what Star City is doing with their circuit. Mm-hmm. And the Opens are, you know, half a GP, basically, in, yeah. in prizes. Yeah. But and also in attendance. And in, and in attendance. And they're wonderful. Yeah. Like, I love going to these they're things. They're great. They're great. I mean, you know, you know a lot of people. You see a bunch of friends. Like, that That part, you know, is sort of inherent to the circuit because a lot of the same people go to these tournaments. Yeah. But outside of that, the tournament itself is well run. And it feels like there's a point to the whole thing. Because... Honestly, just the fact that you're earning SCG points towards the Invitational, like, it feels like you're doing something. Going to a Grand Prix, like, I I think it's kind of funny that, not funny, but I think it's telling that losing coverage and losing a trophy is enough for people to go, well, what's the point of these Grand Prix? Right. That's always really kind of been the question. What's the point of the Grand Prix? And they've been really bad for a long time. Yeah. Uh, if wizards were able to turn their grand prix circuit into something closer to the scg circuit like as a semi-pro tournament circuit where you're like working towards something and you get points for you you know pro points didn't do anything for you unless you were really playing in pro tours yeah yeah but if i can get points for my 11 and 4 finishes that like i add them together and then they get me something a, a, a qualification for a tournament or whatever at the end of the year then it feels like there's a point to me going and playing in these tournaments. For years now, the only reason to go play is you like playing competitive Magic and the top eight, like it's a big PTQ, basically. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, and and people are still going to go to them and everything. And yeah. I think that they're definitely trying to turn it all more into a convention mm-hmm. than anything else. Yep. I think that they're lowering the stakes of the main event and really trying to turn it into this whole magic festival yeah and that's you know that's fine but it and as players we're definitely going to have some some growing pains there for sure because we're so used to what a you know we had such a good definition of what a grand prix meant to us Mm -hmm. you know what i mean and all those things are now changing and we're all like well wait a minute yeah (laughs) no (laughs) you know and that that reaction is totally makes total sense to me but it you know it just might be true that we're going to have to move on and Grand Prix as they have existed are just not going to exist anymore. Yeah, what do we um, play? And, and that the the bigger, one of the other things that like makes this hard is we're like a third of the way through what would have been the next PPTQ season now and we don't know what the how to qualify for the Pro Tour anymore. Yeah, yeah. And we don't know what, the, honestly, we don't know what the Pro Tour is anymore. Yeah. Like, we don't have any idea what that, qualification system is i don't fully understand the difference between like the digital the the arena mythic championships and the the paper mythic championships and who's allowed to play and what like the the communication has just been really really lacking and it's it's starting to feel kind of like a disaster at this point because i i just have no idea what am i allowed to like dream of playing on the pro tour anymore (laughs) right yeah well, there's the, there's the PC now, so we can all shift focuses into... Right. Like, do we just you only know? play SCG stuff? Like, that's, kind of. That's my plan. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's my plan, and that's also the plan of a lot of other people. That but I know. It's just so what a good example Star City is setting right now. Yeah, with the yeah. the additional coverage teams, just like players championship, great things to work towards. Just the Invitational on its own is like a reason to play in these tournaments, yeah. and the coverage is phenomenal. There was a phenomenal tweet from who tweeted this? I think it was Mark Nestico. Mm-hmm. He tweeted. GP coverage is Fire Festival, and <laughs> SCG coverage is Coachella. <laughs> Honestly, yeah, I mean, Mark Nessico is like a professional good points maker. So. <laughs> well, good. <laughs> um, but yeah, that, like that's that's just what it feels like. Why can't they take the example that SCG is setting and like it works, right? Yeah. So it's it's very frustrating, yeah. and and I'm glad that we're on the East Coast and have access to star city yeah but other people don't yeah no i mean we we are very lucky in the in the sense that we have pretty pretty good access to a great tournament series Mm -hmm. that supports the player perspective and admittedly is going to syracuse twice this season yeah but that's rough mostly (laughs) it's pretty good (laughs) okay yeah fair for for sure uh but you know baltimore isn't too far away and we're headed there this weekend so it'll be great it'll be great yep Yay, so, yay coverage drama. Yeah. All right, complaining hats off again. Okay. <laughs> so we should probably do a quick Patreon question of yeah, the week. Let's do it. All right, so for our Patreon question of the week, Lee asks, say, hypothetically, a deck you had been playing for a long while had just been banned. Is it better to learn a deck that already exists but has little diversity, like Dredge, but is strong, or an archetype that is difficult but lets pilots make meaningful card choices, like Amulet? And please remember that this is just a hypothetical. Signed, Lee McLeod, author of the KCI Bible. <laughs> Rest in peace, KCI. Rest, yes. <laughs> right. Hypothetically. So, I mean, we're, we're getting asked here, should you pick up, like, a strong linear deck that doesn't give you a lot of adaptability in the future, or should you pick up something that is, you know, tougher, but potentially gives a little more room for fiddling around with it yeah. as the format develops and that sort of thing. Well, so the, the thing that I kind of like about this question is that there aren't really any wrong answers, mm. but there are some right approaches to figuring out the answer that I think okay. that we can talk about. In, if you're if you're talking about, you know, really trying to pick up and learn a new archetype in a format like Modern, it's, you know, Modern is it's an eternal format, and that typically means that whatever you know, deck that you decide that you want to invest a lot of time into is going to stick around for at least a solid amount of time. Mm-hmm. KCI was out for a while, you know, yeah. before it got banned. Uh, so you're, it's definitely a big, pretty big commitment to really invest a lot of time into learning something in that way. If you, you know, if you're trying to shift specialties, yep. right. And you know what? Having a specialty is something that I, as a competitive player, have kind of resisted the idea of. Yeah. I think in modern, it's okay. Oh, absolutely. I think that if any, you know, the terminal formats are where you want to be for, for that kind of thing. And I, I do think that it's okay in modern. Mm-hmm. Um, it's even better in in Legacy, of course, but mm-hmm. um, in modern, it still is pretty good. Um, but it, it really depends on what you're looking for, for, you know, kind of what you want to do. If you are looking to really invest a lot of time into learning something and, you know, and you're willing to accept the fact that you're going to have a pretty steep learning curve mm-hmm. uh, and and you're willing to accept the fact that initially you're going to lose a lot, then then I can definitely see how you could 
you know, want to pick up something like Amulet, where you're like, okay, the enjoyment that I get out of Modern is that I can really master this deck and learn it better than anybody else. And, um, you know, then, then a deck like Amulet is perfect for you. But if you're more looking to um, be able to metagame or, like, switch things up a little bit and, you know, want to have a few different, like, powerful linear strategies, mm-hmm. I think that if you want to do the linear thing you might want to actually end up learning a couple of different strategies. like mm. Because, like, amulet players play amulet at every tournament. But it feels like linear strategy players, aside from maybe, you know, Caleb Scherer and, mm. and Paul Muller, uh, <laughs> they, uh, they kind of bounce around from what I've seen. Um, so I think that if you're, if you're trying to learn, like, a, you know, a pretty linear strategy like Dredge or, like, Burn or, you know, one of those things, you might want to... Like, pick a couple of them and make sure that you can adjust based on, you know, whether or not your linear strategy is going to get hated out. Because if you're really trying to commit to a deck, committing to a deck like Burn or like Dredge or, you know, one of these, like, hyper-linear do-my-thing decks, you really run into the risk of uh, just getting to the point in a metagame where your deck isn't viable anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a very real uh, concern that I would have if you're, if you're doing something like that, where you don't want to be like, all right, I'm Dredge guy. I only play Dredge, and I know it perfectly. And then everybody's like, okay, well, Dredge is really good right now, so we're going to put in... We're all going to play Tron. <laughs> you know, we're all going to play Rest in Peace or play decks that are good against Tron. Mm-hmm. You, you don't really want to find yourself in that spot, right? Yep. Um, thankfully, those decks are typically much easier to learn. Right. So you can get as good with Dredge and Burn yeah. in the time that it takes you to get that good at Amulet. Yes, exactly. Yeah, but I think that mostly you just kind of want to figure out what what exactly you're looking for out of your deck selection. Mm-hmm. You, you know, are you looking for, you know, something that's going to be good in, in, you know, something that you're going to want to have a lot of tournament success with because it's inherently very strong? Or do you want it to be something that you want to put a lot of reps into and learn it really well? Those decks are like Amulet, but also things like Jund or, you know, other like mid-range strategies, like where it's not as linear and you, you really need to develop this knowledge pool of being able to play that kind of strategy well. We had a very long conversation about this uh, in another Discord. Lee and another one of our friends, Tucker, were spending a lot of time talking about like mid-range decks and their place in modern and that sort of thing. And one of the one of the things we were talking about was like, it takes about as much work to master Jund as it takes to master a deck like Amulet. Yeah. It's incredibly difficult to play Jund, and it's incredibly difficult to show up with the right 75. And your payoff for that with a deck like Jund, and, you know, Jund is a playable modern deck. Yeah. But, you know, our feeling is that, like, you put in all that work with Jund, mm-hmm. you show up with the perfect Jund 75, yeah. and you have to play perfectly <laughs> to buy yourself to into, like, even matchups. 57%er that, you, that you're really going for, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, with and, Jund, you know. Yeah, and it's just like, if you just put that much work into mm-hmm. piloting Amulet, like, sure. or if you put significantly less work, then you get the same percentage with Phoenix or something like that. Mm-hmm. And it's it's just a... And you're not relying on, like, got to play perfectly for 15 rounds. So, yeah, um, you know, just to, like, loop every discussion back around to why I don't play Jund in Modern. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, you know, that's all right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, I mean, I think that Jund is yeah a, another good example of a deck like that, where in order to make sure that your win percentages are high enough to compete in a tournament, you, mm-hmm. it requires a lot of work. Yep. Um, and I think that the same is true for something like Jeskai Control. You really need to make sure that you know 
not only the format really well, but also uh, the way that your deck plays out against each strategy very well. Right. You um, never get to just say, well, I'm just going to cast all bolts at their face. Yeah. yeah. Like, like burn, you can ignore plans against some decks, and you can just say, I'm going to count. Hmm. You can't do that with Jund or Jeskai or something right, like right. that. Another deck that's popped up pretty recently that maybe we want to take a, you know five minutes to talk about is um, there were two uh, were prison decks in the top eight of the modern classic mm-hmm. this weekend. Um, and that deck essentially is just a welding jar prison deck yeah. where you find your lock piece and then you put in like three welding jars in play. And, and they're just all your opponent's never, yeah, your opponent's never going to be able to get out of it. Right. And that deck is also, I think, a deck that really supports a, a format knowledge base. Yeah. Like, if you have your format knowledge base and a reasonable understanding of how to play a deck like that, and, you know, and and or at least a reasonable understanding of how your deck interacts with each of you, of your opponents, then that can be really rewarding by playing, you know, that kind of strategy. But, in, you know, in order to play a deck like that at all, you have to move, you have to put in the, the modern knowledge-based work of really understanding this you you, you got to know the 75 of all of the modern decks mm-hmm. and all of that stuff so it's it's definitely another deck that requires a lot of uh you know a lot of time to to make sure that you're mastering and it really rewards that like tuning your 75 perfectly for each tournament yeah because yeah, yeah. you have that tutor effect yeah but you know very it, important like if i don't have a sun droplet against burn then my my words are a lot worse than if i do so yeah yeah, yeah. Cool. I hope that answered that question. Then I guess that's pretty much it for today. Talked a lot about standard. Talked about some issues. With <laughs> talked about the coverage drama. Yeah. Um. And yeah, I think that's that's kind of this week's uh, this week's main topic. So that's good. Yeah, definitely. So thanks to everybody so much for listening. If you want to find us online, you can find our website mdggradcast.com. If you want to give us some support, we'd really, really appreciate it. Head over to patreon.com slash mtggrindcast, or you can just go to our website. We've got a link to it there. But your support really helps us, you know, keep doing this and uh, lets you come hang out in the Discord, gets you some tokens if I catch up and send those out, which has been a little tough with the new job, but it will happen soon. So everybody who hasn't gotten your, your tokens yet, they're coming. Okay, great. Also on our website, you can find links to Collins's coaching services. You can find us on Twitter. I'm tweeting from at MTG underscore Grindcast. And Collins is also on Twitter. At Collins Mullen. And if you are at Baltimore next weekend, come say hi to either of us. We'll be there. We'll be wearing hats. That'll, That'll be, be phenomenal. Uh, thanks so much for listening and have a great week. Peace. <laughs>